I get the joy of reading scripture today. This is from Luke chapter 1, verses 46b to 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of, his humble, uh, of the humble state of his servant. From now, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Almighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him uh, in every generation, uh, from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scared those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Amen. God is good all the time. God is good all the time. This little shaky here, I trust you. Okay, trust. So I want to start us off with a question and feel free to uh, blurt it out and blurt out your answer or turn to the person next to you and blurt it out. But what song have you been singing lately? Is there a song on your lips? What song have you been singing lately? Okay. Awesome. So I uh, sing a lot, and uh, I used to be one of those people that every time someone said a sentence, you know, if, there was, if it was part of a lyrics to a song, I would start singing that song and be very obnoxious and boring, but, or, and obnoxious. But um, I often sing in the shower. I often sing when I wake up. And there's oftentimes a song on my lips to the, you know, um, maybe my family doesn't want me to sing that loud or wake them up that early in the morning, but um, singing a song. And oftentimes we sing spontaneously. We sing without thinking about it because, you know, we're feeling it or we hear something on the radio and it's catchy. Uh, we feel happy, so we want to sing whatever. Pharrell's happy or we feel sad, so we want to sing a sad song. Uh, whatever it is, whatever we're feeling inside, we have a desire and an urge to express it. The reality, the emotions, um, our state of being in our soul, our heart, we have a desire to express that externally. And music is one way that we express what's going on inside. Or when we listen to music, we resonate you know, with a concert, a song, a song in a movie, because it taps into something that we, uh, we feel for or we resonate with, um, we feel compassion about, we empathize with. And so music is connected, has strings that are tied into our hearts, and sometimes we can't help but sing it out. Amen? Um, and in our passage today is called traditionally the Magnificat or Mary's Canticle or the Song of Mary. Magnificat basically means magnify um, and it's because of the first uh, verse, first line of Mary's song which says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Magnificat anima mea 
dominum, which means my soul magnifies the Lord. So she's giving praise and glory, glorifying God, because in her spirit, in her soul, um, she feels gratefulness. She feels joy. She feels a desire to praise and worship God. And so music or singing or song is also a way we express worship of our God, right? We have an inner reality, and we want to praise God externally. And so we give praise and rejoice um, God. Um, But let's talk about Mary's situation. This is at the beginning of Luke, first two chapters of Luke, before, right before Jesus is born, uh, Jesus' infancy narratives. And Mary is engaged to Joseph, is engaged to be married. And contextually, I mean, we can go back and try to understand Mary or try to, you know, kind of figure out, be in her shoes and figure out what's going on with her. Um, but we can't completely relate, right? Because one, we weren't there. And two, um, it's just not our context. Uh, but she's a 13-year-old go- girl engaged to be married, which that wouldn't happen today, right? Um, but back then, it was more, it was more common. Uh, those were the customs of the day. Um, but most likely, this is not a marriage of love. Right? It's not a marriage of love, but it's most likely an arranged marriage. So she's betrothed to Joseph to be married. But then this angel visits her. Angel Gabriel visits and says, you're, gonna, you're with child. You will be with child. And it's God's child in you. Right? And gives all of this prophecy um, about Jesus and the Savior of the world that's going to be birthed through her. And now, taking that, she has to go home. We're, we're not given what happens between Gabriel giving her this message and telling her this, and uh, Mary visiting Elizabeth. Uh, we don't have that space, but you can imagine. We can step into her shoes and imagine. Right? How do you tell your family now that you're pregnant before marriage, which is a big no-no back in the day? The customs of the day would place scandal on Mary. Her life would be in danger as women caught in adultery would often be stoned. And she's exposed, right? Not of her will, right? She didn't choose this, but God placed this on her. So she's exposed to shame and isolation. And just think about the changes she'll be experiencing that are not of her choice, right? Her body for the next year and beyond will change, right? Uh, I've never been pregnant, but I, I've, seen, <laughs> I've seen my children, and I've seen my wife undergo the transformation um, in many ways, body, physically, emotionally, um, and our family go through, and our relationship go through transitions and transformations. There's a lot of change happening, both visibly, physically, and internally, um, and her body is going to carry this burden and her body won't be her own for a long, long time. Um, so with this, I wonder, did Mary tell her family? What happened when she told her mother and father? Did they disown her? Did they kick her out of the house? Um, 
Joseph's family? Did, how did Joseph's family find out? And what was their response? How did Joseph find out? Oh, we know how Joseph found out. Was Mary sent away? Or did she run away from the danger? Some scholars suggest that Mary, um, as she's visiting Elizabeth, she's actually visiting Elizabeth as a result of her running away or being cast out from her home without having anywhere else to go. Because the journey... Uh, geographically from Mary's home to Elizabeth is a dangerous route, uh, which uh, is not for a pregnant woman, right? You wouldn't just make that journey. And so the suggestion is that, oh, she had nowhere else to go. All she knew was, oh, I have a cousin Elizabeth. She's kind of cool. Or maybe she'll take me in. Maybe I can, uh, she can relate to me or resonate with me because I have nowhere else to go, or I'm afraid of facing what's here at home. And so she runs into Elizabeth, and um, the scriptures say, what does the scripture say? They run, they greet each other, and the baby leaps in her womb. And meanwhile, Elizabeth um, is also with child, and also has been prophesied to have a child, John, uh, who will be the joy of the nations because of his birth, because he'll bring hope and joy um, in, with the message that he brings. Um, but So this leads into our song as Mary unites with Elizabeth and there's the springing up of joy that's felt physically even within, right? Joy within coming outside and expressing itself externally and out comes this song this psalm this canticle um, this piece of worship um, this prayer from mary's mouth and um, i just wanted to give some background uh, for this for mary's song literarily you know in its structure um, and and background but there are four songs actually and four canticles in Luke, chapters 1 through 2. So in the infancy narratives here in Luke, first two chapters, there's four songs. So here in Luke 1, 46 through 55, we have Mary's song, which we're looking at today. And then we have Zachariah's song in Luke 1, 67 through 78. Um, and as a side note, you can take Mary's song and Zachariah's song side by side. I, I'm not going to do it today, um, but there's a lot of parallelism and similarities. And I'll, I'll talk about parallelism, parallelism in Luke a little more. Uh, but also, uh, the angel song in Luke chapter 2, 13 through 14, and then Simeon's song in Luke chapter 2, 29 through 32. So we have these songs um, of praise at the beginning of Luke. As the kingdom of God is being ushered in with the birth of Messiah, Jesus, Savior. You know, the scene is being set and the foundation laid of who this king will be and who this, what this kingdom will be like. And people are giving praise to that because there's a, um, a turning upside down of the status quo, the turning ups and down, upside down of the powers that be and, a re, and an establishment of God's kingdom. Um, through Christ um, and Christ's advent. So 
beautiful, beautiful, lots of singing. Um, it's almost like a musical. I think of a musical. Like, what, you know, in musicals, you know, we, we randomly always sit down, whatever we're doing, and break into song, right? Whatever's happening, I'm changing my tire. I'm changing my tire, and it's raining outside. I love it, I love it, right? We break into song, right? Life's a musical, life's a musical, right? Um, but in Mary's, Mary says, Mary sings, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That first couplet, two lines, in and of itself is a parallel, right? My soul connects with my spirit in the second clause and the Lord with God my Savior in the second clause. So my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So in that couplet, we see that in some way, our inner being, right, deep cries out to deep, our, my inner being is tied to God my Savior, my God my Savior, and my innermost being, my soul and my spirit wants to glorify the Lord. My inner spirit wants to rejoice in the Lord. Soul, worship God. Spirit, rejoice in my Savior. Right? And so we see here kind of the nature and the character of praise. Right? Why do we worship? Why do we give praise? Or how do we worship? And how do we give praise? Praise is the connection between soul and Savior. Right? It's our connection, it's our heartstring between what's going on inside and with the Savior that we uh, lean upon, that we are grateful for, that we trust in, um, that we would be nothing without. Praise equals the outward expression of an inward reality. And you may be like, Isn't, that sounds like a sacrament, right? Sacrament is the outward, <laughs> like the outward expression of an inward grace. Similarly, Praise is our outward expression of what God has been doing inside us, in our soul, of the mercy, our response to God's mercy, our response to God's grace, our response to the gifts of God that he places in our heart. And so um, hold on to that, and we're going to move on with this Mary song. But Luke carefully arranges the, the gospel of Luke, if you look at the gospel of Luke in general, he carefully arranges his gospel to include, and this is like, this is, uh, this is extra bonus points, right, for all you people who didn't go to seminary, um, but you could probably Wikipedia it and be fine. But yeah, it's cheaper, a lot cheaper. Um, gospel includes a woman uh, at every key point in his narrative in which a man is found. So... Luke, there's an episode or a story or a narrative about a man, boom, woman, equally, parallel, same, right next, one right after another. And so this happens quite frequently um, that Luke arranges pairs of males and females. So, for instance, the disciples, when uh, Luke, in Luke chapter 8, he's talking about um, who traveled with Jesus. It included a group of women as well as a group of men, right? In Luke chapter 4, 31 through 39, we find 
Um, Jesus' healing of the possessed man is immediately followed by the healing of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. So, possessed man, healing of uh, Peter's mother-in-law. Luke 7, uh, 1 through 17, the healing of the centurion's servant is followed by that of the son of the widow. So, the centurion's servant is healed, the widow's uh, son is healed. And Luke 13, 10 through 17, the healing of a crippled woman on the Sabbath day is directly followed by the healing of a crippled man on another Sabbath, Luke 14, 1 through 6. Um, Luke shows Jesus using both the story of the prophet jo- Jonah in Nineveh and the queen of Sheba as examples of Gentiles who believed in Luke chapter 11, 29 through 32. And then if you look at the parables, even in the structure of the parables, the parable of the shepherd and his lost sheep in Luke chapter 15 is paired with the parable of the woman with the lost coin. So you're seeing kind of the pattern here. Man, woman, man, woman. Uh, Once again, the man who plants a mustard seed in his garden and that of the woman who puts yeast into her bread dough. Luke chapter 13. Um, And once again, the, the example of two men resting together at night is directly followed by an example of two women grinding grain in the day. Luke 17. Uh, 34 through 35. So where women in, are frequently oppressed in first century Palestine, here in Luke, we're reminded that God hears and sees everyone and that the gospel is good news for everyone, both men and women. It's revolutionary. It's, it's actually quite radical, right? Um, that Luke intentionally places this to give voice, to give, um, to set the vision of the kingdom that people, all people, men and women, have equal access to the good news and the, the salvation of Jesus Christ. And, you know, if you look in Joel, the spirit of the Lord, when the, there's the anointing in the spirit, both men and women will prophesy. So there's uh, this connection in Luke and Acts with this Holy Spirit, right? Luke and Acts is often called the gospel of the Holy Spirit. Um, and you'll also see this toggling of male and female, um, af- affirming um, that each have access, each have a place in the story of God, each uh, are healed, each um, are endowed with the Holy Spirit. Um, and when the Holy Spirit moves, there's an egalitarian uh, kind of uh, movement that happens that's counter uh, whatever kind of culture um, is going on at the time. Um, But let's move forward with this. This song of Mary is a song of reversals, right? It's a song of reversals, right? The poor... uh, and hungry are fed, while the rich are sent away empty-handed, right? Uh, What else is there? Um, The, he has, oh, wait a minute. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel 
remembering to be merciful to Abraham and the descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary herself, and we've already discussed where she's at, maybe, in her life, um, how she may be feeling. She herself says, thank you, God. My soul glorifies you because you have been mindful of the humble state of your servant. Like, who am I that you should be mindful of me? Like, how you have seen me in my darkest moment. You have seen me when I have felt so out of control, when my life has been turned upside down and I don't have anywhere else to go, or everything that I had placed my hope in and my security in, that's been turned upside down, and I don't know what's going to happen next, but I trust you, and I give thanks to you, and I rejoice in you because of what you have done. So um, let me go back to reversal. So there's this theme or motif of the upside-down kingdom, right? The strong and the proud will be lowered, and the humble will be raised up. Rulers will be brought down, but the humble will be lifted up. The hungry will be fed, uh, but the rich will be sent away um, empty-handed. And is there a slide with Hannah's prayer song and Mary's song? (laughs) There is, but can't see that. Um, But basically, you know Hannah in the book of Samuel, right? Hannah was Samuel's mother, and if you remember the story, uh, Hannah's husband had two wives, and, uh, and the first wife uh, was pumping out kids, right? Kids left and right. And to, to, for women back in the day, uh, it was a blessing uh, to have lots of kids, and to not have kids was a, considered a curse or tied to um, the worth Uh, of the woman, and Hannah was unable to bear children, and so she was weeping and praying in the temple, and was it Eli? Eli saw her and said, hey, you know, what's going on? Can I pray for you? Um, And that's where Hannah promises God that if you give me a child, I will dedicate his life to you, right? And so um, God, she gives birth, right, to Samuel, and um, that she sings the song of praise. And the song of praise that she gives is very much like Mary's prayer. And if you could see that, maybe I'll email it. If you could see, I won't go completely through it, but uh, very much similar, a lot of, about reversals, rich and the poor, hungry and the full, and turning that upside down, and then giving glory and praise to God uh, for what he's done from generation to generation. So just wanted to point out that parallel because it points more clearly, more fully to the character of God, who God is from the beginning to the end of the Bible. The great love story, right? The whole love story that uh, points to a God who loves his people, right? And God who loves the poor. God who loves the humble and the lowly. 
and God who opposes the proud. And that's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God we worship. God sees you when you are poor. God sees you when you are hungry. God sees you when you are struggling. God sees you when you're not at your best. God sees you when you aren't happy, when your circumstances aren't so good, when you're struggling, when you're stressed, when you're going through transition and your life just feels out of control and you're like, what, what? I didn't calculate for this. I didn't do a cost-benefit analysis of this situation. And now things are like, things are sucking. God sees Mary. God sees Hannah. God sees you. Amen? Uh, the other thing we uh, of note in this, the song is in the past tense. So if you rewind to Gabriel's visit on Mary, uh, actually a lot of what Gabriel says is in the future tense, right? So going back to verse 31 in chapter 1, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So everything is in the future tense. But here, in Mary's song, it's in the past tense, right? For the Mighty One has done great things for me. His holy name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generations to generations. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble, has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel. So, Mary is plugging in to the generations. It's not just about her, but she's connected to the past, the present, and the future. Story of God, the people of God. What has God done for his people over and over again? He has been faithful. He has been faithful. He has delivered. He has saved. And Mary is pointing to this in her song. He has delivered. He has been faithful from generations to generation. Everything is in past tense. She's living out. Her praise is living out the expectation and listening to the promise of God and trusting that even though I don't know how this is going to happen, even though that this doesn't make sense at all and my world is upside down and it's crazy, yet I praise my soul magnifies the Lord because he has been faithful. Amen. This is who God is. So Mary's song points to the faithfulness and goodness of God. It speaks to the character of God. It's a song about who God is, right? And we sing this same song. 
or we live out in worship. Um, we talk about the character of God. Who is God? God is faithful, right? God has been faithful to us. Who is God? God looks with favor on the lowliest of us. We see that in Mary's song. Who is God? God looks down on the prideful and desires humility. Who is God? God brings down powerful, the powerful and lifts up those with no status and no rights. Who is God? God fills the hungry and sends away the rich. Who is God? And as we hear Mary sing this and as we recite uh, this song, her song, and as we ourselves sing our own songs, the song on our lips, whatever that is, maybe you're singing in the rain or you're dreaming of a white Christmas. Uh, Our question is, are we willing to walk away empty-handed so that the hungry can be filled? Are we willing to walk away empty-handed so the hungry can be filled? Are we willing to step into uh, the love story of God, to step into um, God's reality, God's existence for us? Are you with me, church? I need an amen. (laughs) All right. Um, So we've lit these candles um, for Advent, the hope, love, joy, peace, and the Christ candle. We'll light peace and the Christ candle on Sunday. Uh, but when you think about these themes of Advent, the candles, um, as I was reflecting on them, a couple things stood out to me. Our Advent themes are more than shallow like, so there's shallow representations of those things in our world. Um, but if you look at the true meaning of these things, they're much deeper and uh, come from, flow from the inside out, if that makes sense. So these themes are more than shallow, more than the circumstances around us or kind of external things around us. But they are gifts, they're mercies, they're graces. Uh, from God that spring up, right? It's a gift that we receive. So, for instance, hope. Hope is more than wishful thinking, right? I hope in, you know, what do I hope in? I hope in, uh, I don't even have hopes. <laughs> I hope in my children listening to every word I say and loving me at all times and giving right? Or I hope in having this sports car, right? It's more than wishful thinking, but hope is connected to our deepest desires and longings, right? Internally, our deepest desires and longings, yet as our connection with God and our kind of asking God what his vision for our life is, right? So our desires tied to God's desires and in all that mess, that's hope, right? And so even when our circumstances are bad, 
even when we don't get that car, we don't get the obedient children, we don't get whatever it is that we're desiring or have a wishful or wishfully thinking about, still we can have the gift of hope in us. Amen? Because there is the eternal hope of Christ returning and the salvation and good news of Jesus Christ that we have, we have had, we have, and will have even more fully. Um, so we have that hope. And God, in his mercy and grace on a daily basis, can put that gift, that spark of hope in you that will flow out. Let's take love. Love is more than just the physical, right? It's more than eros, right? Love is more than just conditional. If you do this, then I will love you. If you perform in this way, then I will be loved, right? Love is a gift, right? That, I mean, definitely if you think of Janice's love for me, like, there is no reason why she should love me, right? It's like, bam, 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 bam. What, 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 what are the external reasons? But, right, God, in his mercy and grace, gave her the gift of love for me. And I get the gift of her love in me, right? So it's, it's something that comes from within. And it's a grace that we're given so that we can do with God's help. Joy. What is joy? Our theme for today, our candle for today, is joy just happiness? I'm happy. I don't know about you, but I can fake happiness. In fact, we probably fake happiness 80% of our day out there in the public. Hey, how are you doing? Great, man. How are you? Great. Right? How many times do we do that on a daily basis? Right? I can put a smile on our face. I can feign energy. Right? I can be energetic. I can put a smile on our face, even though the clouds are gray out there. Right? Happiness, you can fake the funk on happiness. Right? But joy, once again, is a gift that comes from within. Joy is the gift of God. And then when we look ahead to peace, right, is peace just the absence of conflict? Is peace even harmony? Why can't we just get a longing? Right? Or is peace also a gift? Right? When we open our hearts vulnerably and allow God to move, Jesus is our peace to come in and fill us. Peace is more than getting along. And so my prayer for us is that we can take on the heart of Mary as she sings this song, that her heart cries out with joy, right? In the midst of her circumstances, in the midst of things that would might crush lesser of us, right? And yet, She's, she cries out with joy. Her soul magnifies the Lord. So may we go from this place and magnify our God with all our heart because of what he's done for us, what he is doing, and what he will do. Amen. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for all the things that you've done for us. And... Thank you for the models of faithfulness that we see in your scriptures. And will you birth something new in our hearts? Uh, 
when we cannot will it on our own. Um, and even in this time and this season, um, even as we talk about hope, joy, peace, and love, we don't experience it. We don't feel it. It's a time of sadness for many. It's a time of depression for many. It's a time um, for a deeper sense of isolation and separation uh, from family and in the world where there's division and war and chaos. Um, we just aren't feeling it. Um, give us the gift of your joy, of your hope, your peace, and your love in this season. Not, not from our strength, but from you as a gift. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.